and welcome to the Product Science Podcast, where we're helping startup founders and product leaders build high-growth products, teams, and companies through real conversations with people who have tried it and aren't afraid to share lessons learned from their failures along the way. I'm your host, Holly Hester Riley, founder and CEO of H2R Product Science. In this week's episode, I had a conversation with Alan Neal, a technical product manager by day, a podcaster by night, and a combination home IT manager and handyman on the weekends. He's currently in his 23rd year as an enterprise B2B software product manager in the greater Toronto area. Alan's podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts by searching for Product Centric and on the web at productcentric.network. Now here's our conversation. So today my guest is Alan Neal, and I'm very excited to have him on the Product Science Podcast. Uh, Alan, why don't you start us off with a little bit of background about yourself and uh, how you got into product management? Sure. Thanks, Holly. Uh, my name is Alan Neal. I have been in enterprise uh, B2B uh, software product management for about 22 years now, uh, mostly in the greater Toronto area. Um, how did I get started in that? I like to say that product management chose me. Um, I didn't choose product management. And what happened was I was working uh, with a small software company that had just been acquired by IBM and um, doing small talk programming, if you can imagine, um, you know, to date myself a little bit. And uh, what they did is, is as, as we started to formalize more around um, leveraging our products and selling them through the IBM channels, I think they looked around and basically said, who do we, who do we have on the team that uh, understands the technology uh, really, really well uh, and can talk to developers, but can also get in front of a business audience, uh, talk to C-level executives and, and whatnot. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's where they tapped me to become a product manager. Uh, that was in uh, January of 1997. And um, I've been doing product enterprise uh, B2B product management ever since. Love it. That is awesome. Um, so many people have the story of some sort where somebody basically told them, hey, you, uh, you seem like you'd be great at product management. Um, it's always kind of interesting to hear how that happens. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about um, you've had so many years uh, doing it. I'm sure there's a lot of different things you've learned, but maybe the first, uh, the first five years or so of, of enterprise product management, what were some of the first things that really um, stood out to you and maybe even surprised you about, um, you know, product management as opposed to other parts of developing a product? Yeah, for sure. So, so the first thing, um, and again, this has changed, but the first thing for me was uh, when I started, there there were very few actual product managers in technology companies, um, and uh, and that was the that was the first challenge. So I went to my first pragmatic marketing training uh, in San Francisco in 1997, and um, you know I I I, I kind of joked afterwards after I'd been in the job for a few years that that you know pragmatic marketing was brilliant because they identified this audience, uh, which basically, you know, nobody in the organizations understood these product managers and, uh, you know, while calling it training for me, it was basically group therapy because, uh, you could go to a session for two or three days and not feel like a weirdo, right? Because oftentimes in those early days, uh, we would be the only product manager in our team, the only product manager in our department, and sometimes the only product manager in the company. So uh, the first challenge that we had for many years um, was, you know, 
who are you? You know, what is product management and and where you fit and why should I listen to you? So uh, the, the disciplines matured a lot since then. And there are a lot more resources, but that was my initial challenge for the first five years is, is we kind of felt we kind of had a chip on our shoulder, to be honest, that we because we most conversations we felt misunderstood and and certainly misappreciated as well. You know, uh, you might be surprised how much I um, do empathize with that, because working in, um, you know, for yourself as well, uh, Toronto is, um, I know it's a big place for Canadian technology, but it's it's not Silicon Valley. Um, so similar to sort of the New York experience. Um, mm-hmm. I think that even today, 20 plus years into this uh, discipline's development, um, a lot of us find ourselves in companies where we still feel like we're defending this role or explaining what it is mm-hmm. or, or frustrated that, um, you know, the picture that we get when we go to training is different from what we feel like we're facing day to day. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. And I would just uh, I would just add to that as well, Holly, that um, as I as I moved along in my career, uh, and started to understand, okay, what are product managers, what should they do? As you're saying, I realized that yeah, this isn't Silicon Valley, uh, whereas you could really specialize uh, and, and become a, a kind of a specialist, highly focused product manager in Silicon Valley. And and what I mean by that is, is uh, for example, uh, you know, if you become a product manager at um, at Google, you could really hyper focus on on, for example, you know, uh, PageRank or or search or something. Always in in Canada, what I found, and you know, I don't think it's changed a lot, is because we're not really a, a technology region per se. One has to be more of a generalist from two perspectives. One, uh, you know, as you move around. You know, you're not always going to be working in, in pure software companies, uh, but the other one is is it's just um, a, you know from a numbers perspective, it's not uh, it's not as specialized a role. Um, you know, when I talk to people in the U.S., uh, they've got a lot pure implementation, if you will, or job description. Whereas in Canada, I think we have to be more generalist to to find a place for ourselves at the table. Yeah. And I think that can be said for different size companies as well. Certainly, you know, the bigger the company, the more people on staff, the more specialized everybody can get. But what are some of the um, uh, stories you have from how you've tried to deal with that? I mean, I love I love the idea that training uh, is essentially group therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, you know, how do you deal with it within the companies that you're at um, or what what worked for you back then um, yeah. to help people understand? Yeah, good, uh, good question. So, so definitely, what I've noticed um, over the years is um, it's uh, it's kind of like with any change program. So, if you if you Google change management or selling change, uh, you'll find that one of the things that often comes up at the very top of the list, or at least definitely the top three, is uh, is executive. Uh, executive support and sponsorship. So uh, where I've had the best product manager experiences because I've, I've stayed at that, at that level, you know, of, of mostly individual contributor um, where I've had the best experiences is where there's been somebody on the senior, senior leadership team at the executive roundtable that may or may not have product in their title, but has a real appreciation of the value of product management um, as a discipline and as a role. So, so that's certainly, that, that's certainly one of the, you know, 
been been one of the things that I watch for is is yeah at the senior leadership table you know is product represented it's becoming more and more common even here in Canada to have a a chief product officer especially in some of the smaller uh, companies and startups but as you say Holly a lot of times in in more established companies there's still a a bit of head scratching in terms of what product management does um the other lesson i learned um pretty early on was to recognize what part of the organization was driving the company and and what i mean by that is pragmatic marketing talks about this this a bit as well so you know i've worked in companies that have been engineering or development driven and i've worked in companies that have been uh have been sales uh driven um and i've worked in companies that have been kind of customer support driven if you will uh fewer are the companies that um at least here in Canada my experience that are are product uh, driven so one of the things i learned early on was to understand which of the organizations types i was working in and, and basically what that you know uh, gives you is okay to be successful to have the influence you want to have uh, you basically want to uh, make sure you're aware of that and that you're investing if it's engineering driven that you're investing um in the engineering team uh that you're not um you know uh, that you're not taking things too personally in terms of um if you're treated sometimes uh you know like a note taker or something like that um because uh my goal as a product manager is always to have the the most impact that I can uh to move the ball forward and like i say in in different types of organizations that means partnering more with sales sometimes you know partnering more with engineering so basically reading the tea leaves i think is important for product managers yeah i like that a lot um in fact i was uh recently working with somebody who is um looking to better understand their role as they've moved into a larger organization and a lot of the conversation is about you know understanding these things how does the how does the product manager who's moved into whether they changed companies or just their company grew a lot um you know but finds themselves in an organization that's um harder you know just more complicated than it mm-hmm. was before how do they figure out what everyone's uh impact is and who to build relationships with and and what to expect of of the people around them and how to use that um, so you mentioned some tips on sort of the engineering side. Um, I think uh, one thing that, especially in B2B, uh, we come across a lot is sales-driven. Yep. you speak a little bit more to that? What does that look like, and how have you um, learned to, mm-hmm. uh, to work with it? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So I'll, I'll give you a very specific example. Uh, when I was at a company here in Toronto called Chameleon Solutions, it was a um an insurance technology provider uh that um had been uh convinced by by their vp of product management that it was time to kind of do the um the bowling alley thing uh that that jeff uh, jeff Moore talks about in crossing the chasm and identifying an adjacent market and uh and banking was uh was selected as a good adjacent market to insurance now um in terms of the type of flexibility that I was talking about that you need to have uh, when you're being a product manager here in uh, in Canada, uh, what I had eventually ended up doing, I started as a product manager. Uh, I developed out, uh, you know, value propositions and and did some analysis on the market um, and, and basically came up with, uh, you know, a set of pain points and some messaging around that. And then we, we literally... Um, 
rebranded my role um, to director of business development uh, because that was the that was the phase of the activity now was to say, okay, we've got um, a proof of concept, a demo that we put together based on these three key messages in terms of pain points for banking. Uh, now let's go out and see if we can prove that. So we weren't using the methodology, but but you know somebody like um, like Bob Dorf, uh, for example, you know may, might call that customer development, right? Um, based on the Absolutely. four, yeah, yeah, exactly the four steps of the epiphany. So, so basically, uh, that's one way that um, that I played into the sales-driven culture, because their basic point, which I agree with, is uh, you know until you have a paying customer, at least one, you don't really have a product, right? So, um, so I spent a lot of time reaching out cold to people on LinkedIn, setting up cold calls, going to conferences, and. And, and trying to grab people and and pitch them on our solution. So, you know, that's uh, that's a piece that that I think helps with sales. The other thing that I'll share, and I, I did a blog post on this once, is if you can get some direct sales experience, I highly highly recommend that. So, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see uh, you'll see a, a, a post called something like how how door-to-door sales made me a better product manager. And I basically did do for about a year door-to-door sales. And I was basically selling a product in the green energy field that was invisible. And what I mean by that is the customer literally got nothing tangible in return for their monthly um, payment for that product. What they basically got was, uh, you know, a good feeling that they're contributing to towards green energy. Um, but um, that was really hard because uh, it's hard enough to sell a product that has tangible value. But when the customer starts asking, well, do I get a tax receipt? I say, no. Well, do I get this? Do I get that? No. You know, it was really difficult. But uh, I, I mentioned that because then when you have that direct sales experience, a, it gives you empathy and insight into the sales function, but B, you can then talk about that with your sales colleagues and get some legitimate street cred with them. Uh, and I find that goes, uh, that goes a long way. Um, so there's, there's a couple, yeah. co- kind of a couple techniques I've used over the years. I, uh, I really like that. Um, I think I, I know I, for one, didn't have much, direct sales and sales conversation experience uh, in my years as a, as a frontline product manager. And um, I feel like I developed an understanding of what behaviors people would have with their technology, but not as deep of an understanding of how they would make decisions within the enterprise, which Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, for the B2B product manager, super critical, right? Um, uh, so I, I think that's a, a really cool example. Also, I uh, I love that you were selling something that had no, nothing that could <laughs> hold and all of that. Like that must have been really hard. You, <laughs> you weren't just yeah. selling something easy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, I know certainly in the American startup culture, there's a lot of reverence for engineering. And so a lot of us, are already aware of, of how to get cred with engineers or, or the companies we try to work at are already screening on whether you've ever been an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of covered, but there's, I think less, um, I feel like in my circles anyways, there's less awareness of the role of understanding and having tried sales mm-hmm. uh, in a good, a good product manager. 
Um, So one other thing you mentioned was being at a company that you would call customer support driven. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little more about that. What's, what does that look like? Yeah, good, good question. So, so um, what, um, you know, what I'm referring to there is I've been in organizations where, um, you know, there, there's two, there's, that can split out into two subcategories, right? One is customer driven from the sense of, of um, you know, when the customer, from a product perspective, whatever you've got on your roadmap, when the, when the key customer says, you know, says jump, jump, um, that, that's kind of part of the whole, uh, of the whole sales thing. What I'm referring to more, uh, Holly, is uh, mature situations. And, and actually, it's a, it's a good um, discussion point because that's where I am right now. So, you know, and I have been in the past. So when you're in an environment where, you know, let's say the, 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 the product is anywhere from, you know, eight, eight to 20 years old, um, the customers, um, are all big, uh, you know, longstanding customers, not necessarily big, but longstanding customers. And, and they pay a lot, um, one fashion or another annually in terms of revenue. The focus really becomes on, customer satisfaction, uh, net promoter score, and uh, and basically uh, kind of a defensive posture, if you will, because uh, there's no additional market share perhaps to get. And the idea is let's just, you know, keep the gravy train rolling as long as we can. And in those environments, just like in high growth, sales would be the lead. Maybe in, in uh, you know, a startup stage, engineering would be the lead. Uh, in those mature environments, a lot of times customer support uh, is in the lead. And, and what a product manager can do to really uh, partner effectively with those folks is uh, a couple of things. So one of the things that, that, uh, that I've done that works quite well is you, uh, you get on uh, they call it different things at different places, but you get on, you basically shadow a customer support person. So uh, if you're, if you're a product manager for, you know, product ABC, you basically schedule some time whereby they get a second headset for you and you actually sit in uh, listening only, but you actually sit in and some of the um, customer support calls. And the idea is, is same as sales is to, is to get that well. You know, how can you appreciate somebody's role unless you've uh, kind of walked a mile in their shoes? So um, that's a that that's a very good technique. Uh, another technique is uh, customer support organizations typically are have a ton of data, right? They they capture tons and tons of data, um, you know, in, in the work that they do. So uh, as a product manager, you can really start to make some data based product decisions in that environment by basically taking that data from the customer support organizations and using that to help you prioritize uh, where your, where your product investments uh, investments go. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a category of, of organization. Uh, and it's usually around more mature organizations uh, where it's about, Hey, we got a good thing going here. Let's not mess it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I also highly recommend the, uh, the customer support sit in, uh, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a really valuable thing to do and, um, and to make friends with them and, and, you know, get access to what they're seeing. So one other thing that you mentioned, um, so far is, uh, that when you've been somewhere with good experiences, there's usually been someone on the senior leadership team mm-hmm. um, that has a real appreciation 
for what product management is. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious to uh, expound on that a little bit because sure. I know especially, um, you know, when I talk to people who are maybe say five years in, they, they, they think they know what good product management looks like, but they've only seen it at two places or three places and um, they're starting or maybe one place and they're starting to wonder um, if it's the same everywhere or not. And if they're in a place where what they're seeing is different from what they read about, um, mm-hmm. then they really start to wonder. And, mm-hmm. and I know that, I mean, I certainly believe that we lose some people who would be great product managers in the profession to, um, you know, just having a poor first set of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious if you can tell us a little more, maybe even go on the negative side, like what was a bad experience and how did you realize it and how did you get out of it? Um, mm-hmm. And then how did you find something, something good too? Yeah, uh, good, uh, good question. I don't like to, I don't like to dwell on the the negative, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely see if I can um, dig something up there. Um, so yeah, starting on the negative side, and then I want to finish on the positive just to to give some hope. But starting on the negative side, where I've seen um, really you know tough challenges is especially uh, especially when a market is consolidating um and uh, like like not having somebody at the senior leadership table that represents product uh management is is you know a bad thing you know period in my perspective but i think i think something uh, a situation business situation that can amplify that is when a an industry is going through a lot of um, consolidation. So I worked, for example, at a, um, and you might chuckle at this, at a semiconductor manufacturing automation uh, technology company. Um, mm. And why that's funny is when you think about Toronto, you certainly don't think about semiconductor manufacturing, right? You know, we tend to think about that as more like Austin and, and Asia Pacific region and whatnot. But, but um, there was a... Um, a technology company that was successful um, from the 19, late 70s to the late 90s here in Toronto um, that was focused on semiconductor manufacturing automation. Now, what happened was uh, that company was bought by a uh, U.S. company, uh, and that, com- that company that bought them was then bought by another U.S. company. So basically, we ended up with a, a situation where we had a company, it was called Brooks Automation, I don't think it uh, exists anymore, uh, that had basically three different products all solving the same problem, which is how do you automate semiconductor manufacturing facilities? And, and, and each of these products was on a different technology base. Each of the products, um, you know, had a, uh, a slightly different sweet spot, you know, in terms of the size of the customer and and that type of thing. And And that really... When you don't have uh, when you don't have a, a strong product leadership, and we didn't there, uh, that makes it really difficult because uh, one of the values that product management can add a lot of value, as I'm sure you've seen with your own experience, is in positioning those uh, those acquired products um, so that you decide, yeah, do we keep them on, target them at different markets? Do we do we retire some of them? Well, at this particular organization, they they had a strong marketing department, but basically through all these acquisitions, we ended up with you know three different um, 
product management groups and, and really no no leadership um, and definitely no leadership at the senior levels. And, and it was very painful because, uh, you know, sales, for example, uh, would go out and they'd be like, you know, do I position this product? Do I position that product? And um, as you know, often sales, if they're not given any other guidance, they'll just sell the product that's easier for them to sell, right? Um, so that was really a mess um, for for quite a number of months um, until um, they basically brought somebody in, um, you know, to, to provide, uh, you know, some senior leadership. So that, that was certainly a, a mess and, and um, mm-hmm. very, uh, very painful. Yeah. Um, so I'll definitely let you get to something good to, to get sure. hope. But before I do, yep. I just kind of want to share um, that that is a really great story. Um, and I think that it's, what you're describing that you experienced there is something that, that I see in companies, whether they've been through consolidation or acquisitions or just grown and tried to spin off new units. Um, but basically, it's, it's what, is the, what is the pain like when you've got a lack of leadership bringing a strategy together, when, when you've got sort of these factions that develop and, uh, you know, the company, the different roles, the sales, the marketing, the product, they're, they're not all sure. Um, you know, which of the problems in the market they're solving, which with, with which of their products. And that's uh, definitely can create a lot of friction for people on the ground because usually what happens then is, um, you know, some combination of uh, everyone, everyone fighting for their local optimum, right? Mm-hmm. Like what is easiest for sales? They sell the thing that's easiest to sell. What is easiest for marketing? Um, you know, they've pushed the thing that's easiest to market and those things don't always add up to the greater whole. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely have heard about that um, and, and seen it myself as well, that that can be uh, a pretty painful, <laughs> a pretty painful experience to live yeah, through. Definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so in this case, they, they did end up bringing somebody in and, and addressing mm-hmm. the issue and it got better? Or? Well, it, it eventually got better. You know, it, the, the other thing with, with acquisitions, as, as you know, is, uh, you end up with a lot of redundancy, so you know it, it eventually got better. But uh, also, there's there's the pain with acquisitions of of you know uh, redundant staff being let go and, and whatnot as well. But um, yeah, on the on the strategy side and the the product side, you know that 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 definitely got better for sure. Yeah. But uh, it's all about having, like you said, that 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 um, strong leadership in place, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us, uh, you know, on the flip side, what is, sure. what has been your favorite experience that you've had and, and what did that one look like? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good question. So, um, the point I wanted to make here, my favorite experience was actually when I was at a company called Davis and Anderson, um, you know, here in Toronto, which is in the financial services space, surprise, surprise, that's one of Canada's biggest markets. But I had joined a company called Phylogics that, that was then acquired by Davis and Henderson. And um, one of the VPs on the technology side, a guy by the name of Paul Lewis, um, was uh, was on the technology side when I joined, and then uh, at some point he was put in charge of uh, in charge of product management. Um, and a brilliant guy, uh, really easy to get along with. So um, you know, at, at that point in time, I moved over from more of a professional services role into into that product management team. But the point that I wanted to make is is you know it wasn't so much that. Paul was a dyed-in-the-wool uh, product guy. Uh, the really the key point is is you know he was just one of those people uh, 
that uh, senior leaders listen to. So he could have been put in charge of any department in that company and uh, and it would have succeeded. So, you know, my point is uh, that that you can have, you know, that you have strong leadership at the at the table. They don't necessarily even have to have the title of, uh, you know, VP of product or chief product officer. But but if they get it, if they're a friend of product um, and they have that influence, that's the key thing. So it was kind of interesting that evolution. It went from we went from probably having a product organization. I'm going to guess of around six people within that company to, you know, under his leadership, uh, I think it grew up at, at its kind of max to be about 20 people. Um, and um, that wasn't necessarily, you know, 20 net new people, but what it's testament to is uh, he was able to lay out a vision um, and a path for the company at a very um, key point in their history uh, that, that, that basically was able to say, listen, uh, put all of these resources um, you know, under the charge of uh, under the charge of product management, I think it was about that twenty or so people would probably be about twenty percent of the staff at that point in time. Uh, put them under the the leadership of product management and let product management uh, you know lead the charge. And and I mentioned it was an inception point because again, company had grown through acquisitions, had three products uh, at various you know stages of maturity uh, and basically wanted to replace them with one, with a single product. Uh, the company had roughly 99.6% of the um, Canadian mortgage market. Uh, so we stayed away from the word monopoly, but we didn't have to get any more customers. It was more around getting new technology uh, launched out and in place. So, you know, brilliant guy. You can certainly look him up on LinkedIn, Paul Lewis. Uh, you know, and I've I've been a fan of his ever since and had him on my podcast. And yeah, just a wonderful experience. Uh, just a great leader and a great guy. So look for those people. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I love that you said in there was that he was able to lay out a vision and a path mm-hmm. that helped them understand, um, you know, why they would want to put these resources under product management and, and uh, have a path forward. And I think that's um, when I've been in places where I felt that there was strong product leadership, that was the thing that they brought the, you know, the understanding the clear understanding of the picture of the vision and mm-hmm. an idea of how we'd get there. Yeah, and, and one of the things I'll just add, uh, Holly, uh, because I think it's a it's a good point as well. One of Paul's great strengths is obviously he's a great communicator, but he's a really a great storyteller. Um, that really helped with his effectiveness. Uh, so, for example, you know when we were in meetings with. Um, a bunch of different cross-functional folks, you know, he would explain, you know, highly technical or business strategy, you know, uh, uh, situations using very folksy kind of examples. So one of his favorites was, uh, you know, talking about, okay, we're going on a camping trip, right? What are we going to take, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, he's not talking about camping, you know, we might talk, be talking about rolling out a piece of software, but, but he was able to explain it to, to, you know, in in a way that everybody would, uh, would, would get it. And uh, a great storyteller at that executive level is really, really, uh, really, really beneficial. So that's a, that's, I guess, a specific attribute that I would look for in terms of your senior leadership. Uh, You know, the better a story that you can tell, uh, then uh, the better of a communicator you're going to be. Yeah, definitely. 
So uh, do you recall, I don't think I've heard people use, we're going on a camping trip within a, a business sense. I'm curious. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. To what hear that's all about. Yeah. What is it about? <laughs> you know what? I, 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 before raising that example, I should have checked with myself to see if I had all the details. I'll tell you what, I'll dig it up and I'll see if I can find it. But I think it was basically about understanding uh you know un- understanding the, the the constraints so for example i think it was uh about you know you, you're going to be you're going to be walking for three days so you know you're constrained in terms of you know what you can put in your pack uh you know you 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 you're going to be going over difficult territory so i think it was um basically a lesson in uh in managing with constraints um, I think that was the main, I think that was the main theme, but yeah, I apologize. I'll have to dig no, that up. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'll send him a message and ask him to explain it to me. Yeah. But He'll I like that. Uh, Cause he, I mean, even just that, that level of understanding of it, yep. I think um, product managers were always having to explain why, mm-hmm. why we have to be so ruthless. And, uh, and I like the idea of, um, you know, visualizing a, a, a hike, you know, yep. not, not a glam camp, not a glamping trip, but a, uh, you know, like a, a real, a real trip that you have to be careful um, with what you can bring. Cause it's going to, it's going to need your energy to carry it. Um, it's a pretty good metaphor. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, uh, you know, um, you and I actually initially met over a podcast that you were running and uh, mm-hmm. I understand that you are, uh, have a new one. So, um, what are you, what are you up to now? And tell us, tell us how that came about. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I, um, I have been, uh, I've been trying to give back. Let's, let's put it that way, uh, to the product management community for about the last 15 years or so um, in various ways. So what I, what I did for um, about 10 or 11 years was I was part of the Toronto Product Management Association, uh, part, part of the, uh, you know, some of the Toronto uh, uh, product camps. And, um, you know, I basically did, figured that at one point that I had kind of done all the roles in those organizations and made all the contributions I could make. So I, I, you know, I've been a podcast addict for years and years. So I thought, well, why don't I try, you know, doing a podcast targeted at product people and I can continue to give back, uh, hopefully at a, at an equal or larger scale and also do something that, um, that I'm passionate about. So I, I, I actually am on my third pivot right now or my second pivot, you know, if you will. So I first start, I first called my podcast ready product radio. Um, I did, uh, I did a weekly podcast uh, for um, close to a year and that was really interesting. It was an interview podcast uh, very much like this one, um, but very challenging as you, as you know, so I wanted to commend you uh, very challenging to do a weekly podcast uh, because, uh, you know, you really, uh, there's really a lot of work that goes into that. Uh, so I did that. Um, and then I thought, well, there's a, you know, there's a growing number of product management podcasts and, and interviews. So I said, well, let me, let me experiment with a different style. So I, re- I pivoted and called my second show, the product management show. And we tried, uh, this format, um, uh, called, uh, you know, a humorous debate. So there's a radio program here in Canada on the CBC called the debaters. 
where, for example, if you and I were debating Holly, uh, the topic might be, uh, you know, which is which is better, peanut butter or jelly, for example, right? Um, and you might be you might you might have to argue for peanut peanut butter, and I might have to argue for jelly. So I tried that format a couple times with things like what's better, agile or waterfall, and and things like that. Um, and that didn't really, you know, I didn't really get too far with that one. So my latest. Um, and my current pivot is I, I took a look at people like Alan Armstrong and people like um, Chad McAllister and Mark Stiving. And these are people that have chosen very specific elements of product management to do a deep dive into. So, for example, Chad McAllister uh, focuses on innovation in his podcast. Alan Armstrong doesn't have a podcast, but in his business, he focuses on win-loss analysis and um, and Mark Stiving uh, focuses on pricing. So, so an area that's been bugging me, you know, ever since I have been working in product management is I always feel like the, the, the problem definition aspect of um, product management and now with the design thinking, it's step number two, which is to find the problem. But I've always found that that is underserved and it's really a, it's really uh, unfortunate because, uh, it, it, as some people, you know, have said, uh, when you do when you're product manager, you don't have to worry so much about being an expert at the product. You've got a whole company to do that. What you really need to be is an expert on the customer, right? And, and more specifically, the customer's problem. So, long-winded answer to your question, Holly. My latest podcast is called The Problemist, and I got that title. There was a there's a British journal. Um, I wasn't even aware of this, but but it's actually a hobby or a discipline to study chess problems, uh, and and we call these people problemists. And there's a a mega a, a, a publication in, in the in the UK called uh, the Problemist. So I basically I'm hijacking that term and saying, yeah, we we as product managers need to spend more time and, and invest more in understanding uh, problems at a very, very deep level, uh, because I find a lot of times they only get surface attention. I wholeheartedly agree. So I think that's a, that's a great place that you've landed there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated. Uh, I'm, I'm not a chess person myself, but <laughs> um, certainly have tried my hand at it over the years. And, uh, and one of the reasons that I, uh, get frustrated is that the people who really play invest so much into understanding all the different ways it can go and mapping mm-hmm. out and, and understanding and just being extremely strategic. Um, yep. So I like that idea uh, of, of using that for building successful products. Yeah. And where I'm hoping to take this, Holly, is I'm starting out with the very, very basics. So in the early episodes, but but my my hypothesis, if you will, right, for this is just like in chess, there are some patterns, right, that, that come up over and over again and again. So my hope is that I can evolve this to the point where, you know, let's say 10 years from now, a new product manager could basically look up in an index somehow to say, okay, I'm in a mature industry, but I'm launching a new product, uh, you know, it, this type of customer situation. So just like chess, um, uh, just like chess students can can study a, a very common you know move, um, you know that 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 we have some way of, some taxonomy right, some way of codifying uh, you know uh, product problems that recur 
in the wild, so to speak. So that's my long-term vision for it. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bet you can. Uh, so that'll be really great to watch evolve. Cool. Well, uh, it's been really interesting to talk with you about all these different perspectives that you have. Um, as a final question, do you have any uh, you know, overarching message that you'd like to share with uh, product leaders or product-minded startup founders? Yeah, um, yeah, good question. So, so basically, what um, you know, the the, the message I would uh, leave with you is probably for I'm going to leave it for up and coming product people. So, uh, you know, my my message would be uh, one of the things that I, one of the areas that I've gotten a lot of value from over the last, I'd say, five or six years um, in terms of my career has been mentoring up-and-coming product people. You know, they might be a junior product manager or in their first product management role. And, um, you know, it's something I would strongly recommend. So for the folks out there that are already successful in product, um, you know, look at, look at, uh, you know, giving that back, uh, send the elevator back down, whatever analogy you want to use and, uh, maybe open yourself up to be a mentor for some up and coming product people. And then on the other side, uh, if you're just learning product management, uh, you know, reach out, find somebody who, who seems to be successful at it, um, and, and, and doing it well and, and try to become their mentee. Holly, I, I was really impressed with your discussion with Marty Kagan as I knew I would be, but I, I really liked when you guys were getting into it, talking about how many people have actually seen product management done well. Right. Because we're all like children. If, if mommy and daddy argue a lot, then we're going to grow up and figure it's normal, you know, for mommies and daddies to argue. So because we pattern. So, you know, I really liked your discussion there. And I think Marty's point was, you know, it's just unfortunate that everybody, every aspiring product, product person doesn't get a chance to see it done well. So I would say for those aspiring folks, try to find somebody who does it well. And, and see if they can be your mentor and mentors, you know, give back. Um, and I found it super rewarding and it helps you learn uh, from um, the next wave of product people as well. So, yeah, I, I'm a huge, uh, a huge passion point for me is mentoring right now. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks, mm-hmm. Ellen. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. I think it's got value for everybody involved. So. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Well, if people would like to find you, Alan, uh, what is the best way for them to find what you're up to? Sure. So uh, LinkedIn is always good. Um, sometimes I, I, I worry about the amount of time I spend on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but LinkedIn is always good. It's Alan Neal, N-E-I-L. Twitter, it's at Alan Neal, A-L-L-A-N-N-E-I-L. And if you want to check out my main podcast feed, in Apple and other other major pod feeds, it's product dash centric. Um, and if you look that up in your in your Apple Pod Player, I'm going to be doing multiple podcasts, but every episode of every podcast will go into that main feed, so you can find me there. Wonderful. Well, and we will put all those things in the show notes as well, so that people can find them easily on their uh, reading, awesome. listening devices. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Alan. It's been fantastic, and I can't wait to share your insights with our listeners. Yeah, thanks, Holly, and congratulations. You know I know how hard this is. 
So you're off to a great start and, uh, you know, keep it up. Good job. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is definitely work, but I'm appreciative to have the support of people like you. Product Science Podcast is brought to you by H2R Product Science. We teach startup founders and product leaders how to use the product science method to discover the strongest product opportunities and lay the foundations for high growth products, teams, and businesses. Learn more at h2rproductscience.com. Enjoying this episode? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. I also encourage you to visit us at productsciencepodcast.com to sign up for more information and resources from me and our guests. If you love the show, a rating and review would be greatly appreciated. Thank you.